Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 8 of Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her, and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth a dove out of the ark, and the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove which returned not again unto him any more. And I'll stop reading there. Now we have spent some time on verse 6 discussing the window and we saw how it identifies with the kingdom of God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Noah also um, is a, a a type and a figure of Christ. He's the one that built the ark like Christ built the house of God. And uh, Noah's family uh, was delivered and, and came into the ark like Christ brought his brethren, all those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, into salvation. So it is Noah who sends forth the raven. And uh, again, God stresses, Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, pointing to that he is being used as an example and type of Christ. So it is Christ um, pictured by Noah sending forth the raven. And the raven goes out of the window Therefore, since the ark and the window and everything alive identifies with the kingdom of heaven, with the kingdom of God at this point in time, after the 150 days, the five months, everything with the breath of life is is dead. And, And that tells us that the raven is going forth to accomplish the will, the purpose of God. God is the one that is sending the raven. Now, um, that's important for us to understand because when we look up raven, we find that it's not used in a positive way, it seems, in Isaiah chapter 34. In Isaiah 34, it says in verse 8, so we, we know 
um, what the context is. For it is the day of Jehovah's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. That is, it's judgment day, and God is judging the kingdom of Satan after allowing Satan to overcome and destroy the corporate body, the church, or earthly Zion, and that's why it's regarding the controversy of Zion. And then it says in verse 9, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. Now, uh, again, we have a time reference of night and day, and the Lord's people, God's elect who understand a spiritual judgment and that we're living on the earth in a period of days after that judgment, we can easily answer why there's a reference to um, Jehovah's vengeance, judgment day, and, and fire and brimstone. And yet it's being poured out uh, night and day, during time. We fully understand because of what God has showed us concerning the spiritual judgment that began on May 21, 2011. But for those that have gone away, and this verse does not stand alone, there are, there are several verses, numerous verses, where we read of the wrath of God being poured out over what appears to be a period of time. In past church history, they have um, explained this um, period as um, an eternity in hell. But God's elect have learned that hell is actually destruction. It is death, complete annihilation. Once God comes in judgment, then how, how do people explain that? How do those that reject May 21, 2011... And yet, of course, they recognize God will come in judgment one day. And, all right, so he comes in judgment one day. Let's say he comes um, whatever day someone would like to pick. Then what? What about the days after the tribulation, according to Mark thirteen twenty four? What about the the references to punishment day and night that we find in several verses? And, and if these people continue to understand annihilation over against the previous doctrine, the erroneous doctrine of an eternal damnation in hell, then how do they explain it? The only way to explain it is to understand that once Judgment Day comes, there will be time on earth, day and night, night and day, in which God is pouring out his wrath. And, well, you know, what the problem is with people who have rejected the spiritual understanding of Judgment Day occurring on May 21, 2011, is they have gone their way, they are content, it seems, they're satisfied in being ignorant regarding these kinds of verses, and and there's just all kinds of verses like this, and it, it appears they're not even investigating, not trying to answer them. 
And that is troubling. That is not the character of God's elect. God's elect search the Bible. We're, we're looking and hasting unto the coming day of God. We're not afraid to go into Isaiah 34 or any chapter in the Bible that speaks of the end of the world. We, we don't, um, avoid it or, or shun it. And, and if we do go into it, we don't avoid certain verses because we don't like what they teach. And it, it, it really is worrying why some people are not trying to solve the information concerning the Great Tribulation and Judgment Day, all the many verses that are out there, but are, again, like the church, like the corporate church. They have settled on their laurels, and they have said, well, we're we're not going to get into that area. We're going to be content with Jesus Christ and Him crucified, just Christ on the cross, and, 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 you know, the basic general doctrines. Well, God's elect, of course, go far deeper than that. Remember, Hebrews speaks of those who are content with the milk rather than the meat of the word, and the Bible has nothing good to say about those that simply want the milk. No, um, if, if you're uh, born again, if you've been nourished by the milk of the word and and you were given spiritual birth by the word of God, the Bible, then you grow and and you want, after a while, meat, just like an earthly birth with a child. There has to be development. There must be progression. And, and yet we're seeing people go back to the milk. They, they, uh, sort of, uh, they avoid all these things. Let, let's just say amen and hallelujah and, and isn't God wonderful and, uh, and we'll, we'll just, um, turn our eyes away from Ezekiel. You have to. And from many parts of Revelation and Matthew 24 and, and Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 13 and just, it, it, you're, you're not left with much of a Bible. You're really, when people, um, intentionally, willfully avoid investigating any part of the Bible, it, it, it's uh, a concerning thing. But when they willfully and intentionally turn their eyes away from such a huge amount of scripture, well, again, you have to wonder, how could a child of God, how could one of God's elect do such a thing? But uh, anyway, that's not what our focus is right now. But let's go on here in verse 10. Isaiah 34, it shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever, but the Camorant and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. And a little further down, it says in verse 13, And thorns shall come up, and her palaces, nestles, and brambles, 
in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be a habitation of dragons and a court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, everyone with her mate. And God is speaking of the final judgment on the world. And we read of all these birds, all, all these various kinds of birds. Um, I, I don't know what a cormorant and, and a, um, uh, the uh, bittern are. But I do know in Isaiah chapter 14 that the Lord speaks of the fallen Babylon along these lines. Uh, This is the chapter where uh, take up the parable against the king of Babylon or the proverb. And then we read of um, the king of Babylon, who's a type of Satan's fall. And it's pointing to uh, Satan being put down from all official rule in the day of judgment. And then it says in verse 22 of Isaiah 14, for I will rise up against them, saith Jehovah of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and son and nephew, saith Jehovah. I will also make it, that is Babylon, a possession for the bittern and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith Jehovah of hosts. And this uh, word bittern is only found three places. We won't go to the other place. It's in Zephaniah 2, also in the context of judgment. And here in Isaiah 34, which, again, is evidence that Babylon's fall is equal to the fall of the world in Judgment Day, because Isaiah 34 is clearly describing the end of all things, the final judgment of mankind. And and, and so we find the Camorant, and the bittern shall possess it. And then God mentions all these other birds, the habitation of dragons, a court for owls, the screech owl, the vulture, and it relates to Revelation. Revelation 18, that tells us about the fall of Babylon. And it says in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and a hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And the raven is an unclean bird. It is classified that way by God in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, but in Leviticus 11, it says in verse 13, And these are they which he shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle and the ostrich and the osprey and the vulture and the kite after his kind, every raven after his kind, and the owl and the nighthawk and the cuck owl, and the hawk after his kind, and the little owl, and the camorant, and the great owl. So we just saw some of the birds that were mentioned, the fowls, 
that were mentioned in Isaiah 34. They're unclean animals, and it is being used by God in a figure in Isaiah 34 to indicate when he brings judgment on the world, the world will become desolate and a cage for every unclean bird. It, it, the, the, um, habitation is not suitable except for these vultures and, and owls and ravens. It, uh, it, it's not suitable for the people of God. It is a desolate place and something becomes desolate. This is how the Bible really defines desolation. When the Spirit of God leaves it. So the church was vibrant. It was alive for 1955 years. But the moment the Holy Spirit came out of the midst at the end of the church age, which was in 1988, the entire corporate body became a desolation. The abomination of desolation was set up the daily was taken away. It was an exchange. The instant the Holy Spirit departed, then it became a wasteland, a dry wilderness. That's how God viewed it. And spiritually, that's exactly the condition the churches of the world were in. And, and so, likewise, when God, the Holy Spirit, left the world insofar as his work of salvation and evangelization, the Holy Spirit would no longer enter into an individual and and uh, save that person. The, the Holy Spirit would not be communicated or the Holy Spirit would not travel upon the wings of the wind or be carried by the word of God as a person heard uh, some scripture, something from the Bible, and faith came, that is the Holy Spirit, entered into that person, and they became born again with the indwelling Spirit of Christ. No, that that no longer will happen once the Great Tribulation concluded on May 21, 2011. Judgment Day began, and it was as though the Holy Spirit went out of the world in that sense. Of course, the Holy Spirit is still in dwelling all of his elect, and he saved the great multitude, and God the Holy Spirit, as well as God the Father, God the Son, knows everything about everything, and God is still present in that sense. But as far as the work of salvation is concerned, the world became a wasteland, a desolate place, only fit to have unclean birds occupy it, and to go about, uh, that's the picture that I think God is painting spiritually back in Genesis chapter 8 when Noah opens the window and he sent forth a raven because the world is destroyed. The world is desolate. The water has destroyed everything. Uh, Every creature, every animal, every man with the breath of life is dead. 
and and so the raven goes out and notice it says and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro that is he went and returned the raven went and returned and he would have done this continuously until the waters were dried up from off the earth now the word dried up is 3001 in the hebrew of strong's concordance and it's a word that identifies with the Red Sea. When the Israelites crossed, they uh, went through the Red Sea as on dry ground. The word dry. Or when the Israelites cross Jordan on a dry riverbed. The word dry. And, and that's because the water of the Red Sea that drowned Pharaoh and his Egyptian army, or the water of Jordan, is a type and a figure of the wrath of God, just like the water of the flood is a picture of the word of God, the word of God bringing judgment, the outpouring of God's furious anger. Therefore, the raven will go to and fro until the waters are dried up from off the earth. And that's really a picture of the world being a desolate place, as we saw. Again, let me turn back to Isaiah 34 and notice how God described it. He mentioned streams shall be turned into pitch and the dust into brimstone. And then verse 10, it shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke shall go up forever from generation to generation, it shall lie waste. Actually, the word waste is also found in Genesis chapter 8. It's uh, Strong's number 2717. And in Genesis 8, it's also translated as dried in verse 13. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried. And that's a, a different word. It's 2717. The word translated is waste. So that's the focus. It shall lie waste. The, the wrath of God has wasted the world and none shall pass through it in Isaiah 3410 forever and ever, but the Camorrah and the bittern shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. Now, when Noah sends the raven out of the ark, we could say the raven dwells in the world. Does anyone else dwell in the world outside of the ark? No. No, there is nothing else that has the breath of life above the water. Yes, there's sea creatures, but that's not God's focus. Only the raven, only the raven is flying about in that world because it possesses it, just like the bittern and the camorant, the unclean birds that God mentions, possess the earth. Babylon has become a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. The world is only fit for unclean birds. It's not fit for anything else because all else is dead. It's desolate. 
it, it's it's like a barren wasteland. And that seems to be the emphasis here in verse 7. God doesn't want us to forget. He doesn't want us to um, lose sight of the fact that the world, this present earth, is under judgment. It is the final judgment of mankind and the creation. And until it's completed, the world will only be suitable for unclean and hateful birds. Well, uh, next we're going to read um, a a completely different picture. In the next verse, verse 8, also... He, referring back to Noah, a type of Christ, sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. And before we begin discussing the dove and, uh, you know, what the Bible has to say about this, I, I um, think personally is very interesting, very interesting and, you know, it really has um, sort of taught me a lesson that uh, when there's a difficult passage, God is really hiding something there. And and, and uh, I, when I came to this before, and I've looked at this for months and months and months, and I didn't understand it, and uh, to tell you the truth, I was kind of... Um, not wanting to reach this section, I I felt so comfortable in Genesis six and Genesis seven. Uh, you know, I I I felt like well, I have a really good understanding of those things. And then when I would look ahead to Genesis chapter eight, and especially from verse six through verse twelve, uh, I was really troubled and concerned uh, that I did not understand it, and. You know, what do you do? What what does any of us do? When we don't understand something, we pray. And we ask God for help and for wisdom. And so I was praying just uh, that I did not understand it. And uh, really, I was thinking uh, at one point, we'll just do uh, like a, a quick Bible study to cover those six verses. And... Admit, I, I just don't have much understanding of them. But but then um, the Lord began to open up my understanding, I think, to what is going on here to some degree with the dove. And the key is that the dove represents the Holy Spirit. Now, before we talk more about the dove or the Holy Spirit, Let's notice in verse 8, also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. This word abated is not the same uh, Hebrew word that um, we we find, for instance, back in verse 3. At the end of verse 3, the waters were abated. In verse 3, the word abated means they decreased. This particular word abated is a word that is translated as vile, despise, revile, lightly esteem, swifter, and curse. 
so, um, it, you know, obviously God is um, using this word to help us understand something concerning the waters. And I think that the best way of understanding it is to translate abated as cursed or curse. And, and to understand it this way, the, the dove was sent forth from him to see if the waters of the curse or the cursed waters or the waters that brought the curse from off the face of the ground. Now, I think that's a good translation because the same Hebrew word, which is 7093 in the concordance, is translated as cursed in verse 21 of Genesis 8. And Jehovah smelled a sweet savor, and Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. So the dove, the Holy Spirit, is sent forth to see if the waters of the curse or the waters that brought the curse are from off the face of the ground. And and so you can see why they translate abated. It's to see if the curse of God upon the earth and man has yet to be accomplished. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.